Thank you for downloading a sermon from the Chapel of the Cross. The Chapel of the Cross is a welcoming, growing, and historic Episcopal Church in Madison, Mississippi. I hope you will join us on Sundays for worship at 7.30 a.m., 8.45 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m., with Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. I also invite you to connect with the chapel online at chapelofthecrossms.org. Again, thank you for downloading this sermon. We pray it will enrich your walk with Christ. God bless you, and we look forward to welcoming you and your family to the Chapel of the Cross. Well, folks, Compton Christmas has come and gone again. I hate you all miss it. It is always held on the first Sunday in December at our family farm in Clark County, Mississippi. For as long as I can remember, we have had Compton Christmas, which includes my very large extended family that we only see once a year at this event perhaps for good reason. My grandfather was the oldest of five children, so Compton Christmas has long been an opportunity each year for the children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren of my grandfather and his siblings to get together. It is a family reunion of sorts. Though my grandfather and his siblings are deceased, Compton Christmas lives on. On Friday and Saturday, we prepare by cutting down the choicest, freshest, finest cedar tree on our land, and we bring it to the farmhouse to decorate. We then adorn the farmhouse with lights, wreaths, greenery, and all the trappings of Christmas. On Sunday, the family shows up. The food and desserts are gloriously spread out on the tables. There is ham and turkey. There is every sort of southern casserole and fixings. There are green beans, squash casserole, lima beans, dressing, cranberry sauce, asparagus casserole, cream corn, and my favorite, deviled eggs. Follow up this feast with banana pudding, pumpkin pie, strawberry cake, pecan pie, and brownies of every sort, and you are ready for an afternoon nap. But there is no time to nap at Compton Christmas. For if you fall asleep, you will miss the highest of Compton Christmas traditions. Santa Claus riding in on a four-wheeler. <laughs> That's right. St. Nick does not miss a Compton Christmas. He sits by the cedar tree and hands out candy canes and gifts after leading us in the singing of the best known of Christmas carols. Only when Santa Claus departs do the festivities conclude until the next Compton Christmas. So imagine this festivity happening last weekend. Then imagine me returning home here to preach at the 5 o'clock service at the Chapel of the Cross to the gospel lesson which contained these words. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. With Jesus' words, I was 
quickly yanked from Christmas, from Compton Christmas, back into this season of Advent. I was completely thrown for a loop, even confused, perhaps. I went from joy to being restrained. I moved from careless to caution. Mirth was replaced by solemnity. Exultation gave way to silence. I was reminded of just how countercultural Advent truly is. The gifts, the carols, the candy canes, the wishing everyone a Merry Christmas at Compton Christmas, and of course, Santa riding in hot on a four-wheeler, juxtaposed against anticipation, preparation, silence, solemnity, and the restraint of Advent. Well, it makes us Episcopalians seem like real Debbie Downers. And this Sunday, we have John the Baptist, who does us no favors by never missing a chance to yell loudly at us during Advent. The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. <clears throat> Just as Compton Christmas can be counted on this time of the year, so too can John the Baptist be counted on this time of the year as well. Our gospel lesson is the opening of Mark. As if John the Baptist's words were not urgent enough, there is a sense of urgency throughout the whole of Mark's gospel, which we will hear over the course of this next year. Mark begins immediately with Jesus' ministry. Mark takes no time to tell a story containing shepherds, angels, a quaint stable in Bethlehem with a manger, and a virgin meek and mild. There are no wise men from afar or an angry and jealous King Herod. Instead, Mark hits the ground running. He wastes no time. His sense of urgency is made clear by presenting John the Baptist as his first character in telling his good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. These words from John the Baptist echo throughout time. They are not stagnant words meant for a people long ago. They are not meant for one epoch of history or time. They are meant for us today. Prepare the way of the Lord. John is speaking to us. So why this sense of urgency? While the rest of our society is knee-deep in Christmas, why are we in this season of Advent? What does it all mean? Why do we prepare? What are we preparing for? What are we anticipating? Why do we have these readings about the end times? And why is this guy who wears camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and eats locusts and wild honey yelling at us? Why? Why? Because Advent is a different time. It is a different season. It calls us to a different sort of life. So my Advent practice each year is to read something. I like to purchase a book that will help me mark time leading up to Christmas. The books I read draw me into the season of Advent. They help me to slow down. They help me to reflect. They help me wait. They allow me to wonder and ponder at the wonderful mystery of God becoming a human. 
The book I have been reading is called Love Came Down. It is a collection of writings compiled by Christopher Weber, who is an Episcopal priest. This collection of writings are from prominent Anglican preachers, teachers, and theologians. This past week, the first week of Advent, I began reading this book. I was startled, shocked even, that almost every reading this week dealt with death. But in these readings, death was described as not an end, but as a new beginning. I wonder if this sense of urgency in our gospel lesson is urging us toward a new beginning. I wonder if our anticipation in this season is about anticipating a new beginning. I wonder if our preparation is preparing us for a new beginning. I wonder if these readings about the end times reveal stories about a new beginning. Perhaps this season of Advent is simply all about new beginnings. I think Mark's words point to this new beginning. Biblical scholar Eugene Boring states that it is no mistake that the wilderness is the setting for Mark's opening scenes. For this signifies a new beginning, as the wilderness often did. To be in the wilderness often signified a new beginning. It signifies the inauguration of the new age by the act of God the Creator in Jesus Christ. Last week, Jesus tells us to be prepared for when the Master comes. And this week, John tells us to prepare the way of the Lord and to make his path straight. What Jesus and John, I think, are really telling us is to prepare for a new beginning. A new beginning in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We have a few more weeks until that beginning is realized in a baby in a manger. So I ask you, what does a new beginning in Christ look like for you? Is it forgiving a friend or a family member? Is it kicking an old or bad habit? Is it being healthier in your life? Is it eradicating the fears of your life? Is it loving all persons radically? Is it welcoming others fearlessly? Is it giving more of your time, talent, and treasure? Or is it spending more time with friends and family? I ask you again in this season of Advent, what does your new beginning in Christ look like? Amen. Amen.